Hello, welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 393. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hi. This week on the show, we'll be kicking off our first review of 2021 with a bang. And we're going to be talking about Grizzly 2 Revenge, which is out in theaters and VOD now. That's right. It is out in theaters. Also, be going over some watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases on Beauty and Blu ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. With that, I think we can just dive straight in to the review. Obviously, there's a lot of crazy things happening in the US right now, but I think we're going to just not discuss that this week and just try we're to. Gonna- Try to decompress fo- a little bit and fo- talk about focus on Grizzly Two. Yeah, we're just going to try to decompress. Talk about Grizzly Two Revenge. Mm-hmm. This is directed by Andre Zotz. It was shot in Hungary, but okay. features a largely an entirely U.S. based cast. This was uh, some kind of deal that was through some. I can't remember the production company. It was based out of Chicago and they, they had some kind of deal that they struck with the Hungarian film Institute or whatever. And this was the movie that they decided to make. I have a synopsis here. All hell breaks loose when a giant grizzly reacting to the slaughter of grizzlies by poachers attacks at a massive big band rock concert in the national park. Huh? <laughs> Should I read that again? Uh, All hell breaks loose when a giant grizzly reacting to the slaughter of grizzlies by poachers attacks at a massive big band rock concert in the national park. It's not just, it's the national park, Kevin. It's not just any, it doesn't matter which one. It's the one. It's the top. It's the number one. It's the only one. National park. Now, this is a, it's a movie with a backstory, and I think that that's why people will initially be drawn to this movie. This is a movie that was shot in 1983, so it's 37 years old. However, it was never finished, and it ended up getting put on a shelf until 2020 when they decided, and by they I mean the... The, the original producers of the film, the executive producer, rather. Uh, let, me, let me find her name here. Su- Suzanne Nagy. She, I guess, decided that it was time to finish this movie. In fact, I, I read an interview with her, and she said that she was working on her memoir. And when she was writing about Grizzly 2, it kind of made her feel like, you know, this is the one thing that I really never finished in my life. And it was sort of like a, maybe like a, of a bucket list item is, is the correct term to use for this. But it was just like this one thing that was sort of nagging at her. So in 2020, she decided, you know what, it's time to get this thing done. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but it could also be because there was a little bit of a, resurgence of this movie when a leaked work print of it got online so in someone leaked it to youtube in 2017 and it was a vhs 
rip of a work print and that got people talking and i think that maybe that had to play a role in it she because she's she knew that this happened and she was like doing you know takedown strikes and stuff and i imagine that she saw that people were actually watching this thing and was like oh well you know maybe maybe all that time and money that i wasted in this movie is maybe i could recoup some of it so she decided to just finish it now by finish we're using that pretty loosely here because i guess you could say that the movie is technically finished it has a beginning and an end but everything in between i'm not so sure about 20 percent of it is new footage which is also like a really odd thing to see in a movie. I mean, we've seen it before in movies where a long period of time has passed and additional footage is shot and it's, you know, spliced in, stitched in. But when you have a movie from 1983 shot on film and then new footage shot in 2020 on what is very clearly digital, they don't match. They do not. They do not mix. No, no. And uh, let's just be a hundred percent honest here. Like all the new footage, not only like it doesn't mix in terms of like the quality between you know the digital and the film, but like they didn't even try. Like there was no attempt whatsoever to try and get these to even come close to matching. In any way, shape, or form. Well, yeah, I mean, anything. Like, so it's just, it's god awful. The opening is entirely new footage. And when I, when I first started watching this, I didn't, I didn't know all of the information that I just said when I f- first started watching this. I, I looked all that stuff up afterwards. So when I turned it on and I was watching it, I'm like, damn, like, no, I was like, this has to be new footage. Like, this, it looks, very, you know, high definition. It looks like stock footage. That's what it is. I, yeah. I, I, I would imagine that it actually is stock footage. <laughs> I'm like almost 100% certain that it is stock footage that they just show at the beginning. A lot of it. Most of it is stock footage. <laughs> but, um, you know, you see that and like they, they redid the title cards. I don't know if title cards were ever done for the movie to begin with. But, and to be clear, I did not see the work print version of this so I can't compare the two. And, you know, you see that intro and it has the new titles and it also has new music too. I'm like very certain that the score that was used in this was not the original oh, no, one. There's, yeah, no there's, there's no, no way. There's no way. They're, they're capitalizing on that new, you know, everything has that sound that, you know, that's in like every fucking trailer, every Christopher Nolan movie. That loud thud buzz thing, whatever the fuck. You yeah, want to call that like it. drone. Like, yeah, yeah. the The funny thing is, though, the new the new score that's in this doesn't work at all. And often there'll be a piece playing that doesn't even. It's not even close <laughs> to matching what's happening on screen. It's just it's no. so bad. And I, I mean, I think you could say that about every aspect of this movie. It's a complete disaster. It's. Every yeah. on on a technical level, like every like every aspect, every box that you would check, every bullet point that you would look at, uh, 
at a movie yeah. from a critical standpoint is it is an utter failure. Oh yeah. No, the only the only thing that I will give this movie is some of the original footage. Uh everything that takes place like in the forest. Cuz another thing that you got to keep in mind here is that like the original footage is shot the DP is Laszlo Kovacs who's like a big time cinematographer. So some of those like forest set stuff it looks really good. But but that's like 5% of the movie. Yeah. Um so I, I do have a written review up on the site for this and I said at the towards the beginning of the review that the only positive that I can say about the movie is that it, it looks that the 83 footage looks good. And I th- I say that because the only other version of this movie that's floating around is a bootleg VHS rip of a work print. And yeah. for this, they used the original negatives. They used the original 35 millimeter negatives. So it looks really good. And it looks like it's been preserved very well over the years. I mean, there's like, you know, a lot of times you see these super low budget horror movies that are that are from this era and that you know the film has degraded and it just like the colors off and there's dust and scratches and it just looks really bad if it hasn't been restored obviously and i don't think there was any kind of restoration done on this but it the film looks the quality looks very good so that is one thing that i can say i was impressed with but, but that's where it ends. That's where else. my praise for this movie ends. Yeah, because you have the so much of this is just stock footage, just being reused. Especially in the beginning is just laughable because it's just poor decisions too. Just things that like why, why? I mean, the stock footage is bad enough, but to say you know to come up with the decision of like okay well we have to set this up we have to have a a poacher or hunter killing bears in order to set off this grizzly grizzly two and his revenge is like you know a guy holding up a gun shooting this terrible special effect of a bullet traveling looks like it was is made in like microsoft paint (laughs) It's just, you know, and hitting a bear in the throat and it is like a little, you know, special effect blood again, Microsoft paint. Like, it's just so terribly, just so terribly executed and thought out. And then the worst part is, is like, okay, that's humorous enough where you're like, okay, I know what I'm getting into. This is going to be kind of bad. And then, you know, we were kind of laughing is there's the original footage like one scene in particular where the guy comes to tell this other guy that his brother's been killed by a bear. And just the way that it's edited, there's a super close-up of him reacting. His lips aren't moving at all, but he's talking. And it's just completely butchered. It makes like no sense whatsoever because they're just, they're desperately trying to make this work as a scene. And it's clearly not going to work in any way, shape or form. Um, so that lets you know that, like, wow, this is going to be a train wreck. This is going to be an absolute shit show, right? But after a while, like, it's not really even funny anymore because what it becomes is they have some footage of the original movie of them doing this, like, new wave concert. 
in the in the the national park, the top the top dog of national parks, throwing a new wave concert. Yeah, big and big outdoor concert. So, like, the decision was is okay. Well, what we can do because we're just having a really rough time trying to make this grizzly stuff work. We'll just pad out the new wave concert. That's what we're going to do. And I swear to God, it feels like 75% of this movie is just stock footage of this fucking new wave concert. I don't know how many repeated scenes or shots of crowd reactions that are a like actual original footage that's reused like 10 to 15 times new footage that doesn't match whatsoever. Like not even close. Like it's not even outdoors. Like why? Why? At least use footage from outdoor concert. (laughs) My God, there's several performance footage that is not from this movie. Like I feel like they just ripped it from YouTube. Like the one, what is it? Like the the German band that's playing. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's from like the seventies. Right. Yeah. So because you. I was watching this. We both watched this on the same day and we were sort of chatting back and forth as we were watching it. And you were a little bit ahead of me. You started it before me. So you were hitting these scenes before I was. And you'd mentioned to me about this concert scene where they like did a new performance. And when I got to that one scene that looked like it was in the seventies, I I thought that that's what you were talking about initially. I'm like, Oh, this is clearly not part of the outdoor concert. This is, no. it is not even close. Like the footage just, looks different. Like the, 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 the uh, quality of the music, like the, yeah, the, uh, just the, the quality audio, is different. Everything, everything is different. I swear to God, they ripped it from YouTube. I swear to God. I mean, it, it, it's possible that that was in the original work print. Maybe it was like a placeholder or maybe, maybe it was something else that they included. Because I don't know. Like, here's like here, this is the weird thing because they include that, but then they also include a contemporary performance. So it's like some <laughs> some other band that's a, like literally a 2020 band, and they're not even trying to hide it that this is no, like a brand new. I don't know. I don't know the band <laughs> that no, performs, but a it's a band from 2020 or 2019 or something that like they have to be friends of someone that's involved with right. this movie. It has yeah. Because they they look far too modern. I mean, there's no question about it that it's modern. It's not from the goddamn movie. But still, like, they didn't even try because they're modern looking. The music's modern. It's not new wave at all, which, like, at least get someone that does, like, some new wave music. Like, why would they be there? Second, it looks like they're just performing in their backyard. Yeah, it, it, it looks like a, like a music video from the 90s, like one of those low-budget music videos from the 90s that you see in some, you know, grunge band. And- it is just incredible because it's just it's so it's so offensive and disrespectful in so many ways to like anyone at like the paying public like this is just it's so rude it's just rude and the best These part is should be banned from doing anything <laughs> with movies ever again they like, had this- they had all these crowd shots these from the actual now to be clear so the way that this played out. When they were shooting Grizzly 2, day one was the concert. So the first day that they went, they were in Hungry shooting. The first day of shooting was all the concert footage. And after that first day, 
the producer left the movie. He just left. Like, he just straight up disappeared and left them, everybody in Hungary, like, high and dry. And they had to get... He took all the funding with him. There was no money, so then they had to oh, get... Yeah. You wouldn't leave that behind when you're... So then, so then they had to get... They were able to get an investor to finish the movie, but this is, like... it. I don't understand how it's just cobbled together. Everything is just cobbled together in this movie. And like, I don't understand that because they did new crowd shots too. So you have repeated cutaways to these, this crowd shot during the real concert. And then you have new crowd shots that they filmed that are modern. Again, no attempt to hide the fact that these are, modern crowd shots like because you when you pause it you can look at i mean you don't even have to pause it you can just immediately see that these people are 2020 people and not 1983 people just their their clothes their hairstyles everything and it's not only that because like and obviously the quality like well there's the quality too but there's just the total disregard for even trying to attempt like one iota of attempting to to match it is that like it's not even out like outdoor festival foot like you could at least pick a modern outdoor festival and at least have that where it's like okay at least they're outside but it's like an arena there's like it's dark yeah it's really <laughs> weird i and and <sighs> just so much of the movie is this concert like Fun it's called grizzly too but it, I mean, I don't even know if it should be called Grizzly 2. This should be called, like, the National Park... New Wave <laughs> the, the National Park New Wave Concert, 1983. <laughs> like, because so much of it is, like, them preparing for the concert and, like, the park director trying to make sure everything's going okay and the crowd's coming in and they're setting up the stage and they're talking to the bands. And it's just like, what is this? This is totally, it, it, it's just like, it's more a concert doc than it is uh, a grizzly attack movie. Yes. Yes. And yes. L- let's talk 100%. about the grizzly because the grizzly is in it. 0% of the time. I would say maybe 1% grizzly. You, ne- you never see the grizzly actually attacking anyone because I read that the, they had an animatronic grizzly that didn't straight up didn't work. Like it just didn't work at all. And then they had a suit and the suit looked so bad on, on film that they didn't use that either. So what you're left with is shots of people looking at a grizzly that is off camera and screaming and then cut away. And that's it. So you, you never even see there there's they'll do occasional cutaways to to the grizzly just kind of static like yeah and then there's again some stock footage of of some bears and that's the thing is you could at least okay like the the bear was bad or whatever but you could at least have that in there and it would have been entertaining Instead of like, okay, instead of using this really bad bear, what we'll do is we'll just pad it out with new wave concert footage and make it something that is the complete opposite 
of what the title of the movie is. And this is at least, like if it's a bad, you could you know you could put this up there maybe with you know other movies that are so bad they're good. Like this isn't even that. This is just boring as shit. Like if you want to watch like the worst documentary of the worst new wave concert ever <laughs> given, then Grizzly Two: The Revenge for some reason is your top pick. Yeah, it's 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 really bizarre. I think that the draw to this movie is just the fact that it's it was a lost movie. I think that any movie that that gets shelved and is like sort of enters that like mythological like did it actually exist and like what happened to it like that kind of allure takes hold and then the big thing is the the cast of this movie the people who are involved in this movie you have the opening scene features a George Clooney Charlie Sheen and Laura Dern and the for this 2020 release they're they're the top build people like they're they're on the poster they're in all the marketing material and i was thinking going into it i was like oh man this is going to be even if the movie sucks it's going to be fun to see these actors in some of their very first roles but they're in the opening scene and then that's it they're in the opening scene they have a few lines and by the way what is going on with their lines because they just talk over each other for like three minutes I can't I couldn't even wrap my head around what was going on because the three of them are talking all at the same time. I'm just like what the fuck's going on here? Then they get killed by the bear and they're gone and that's it. Now sure. you also have some other notable people in here. Uh John Reese Davies is in here as Bouchard. Which I'm, the, all I could think of was Bobby Moynihan. <laughs> like he's it's an SNL sketch. It's it, it's it's incredible. He plays this bear hunter who I think the story goes that his family was killed by a bear and it made him sort of crack and he became this deranged like bear hunter that travels around and gets hired to kill bears. And he's killed every bear. He's ever come in contact with. Yeah, he, he, there's never been a bear that he hasn't killed. And bear, what does he say? Like bears are the spawn of Satan, or something, something like that. that. Like they're devil creatures. Like he fucking hates bears. Fucking hates them. He's such a weird character. When when we're first introduced him to him, he he just picks up a tree. He picks for up reason. a tree. <laughs> he just picks up an entire tree. I guess it's to like show that he's really big and strong. But it's also like in. Completely it's just pointless. So yeah, because he does that, and then as soon as he drops it, he's just like, "So what do you need? <laughs> <laughs> what do you need? A bear killed? Because that's literally what I do. Like that's the only thing I do. I kill bears. So if you don't need I me can- to kill a bear, I, I'm just gonna have to leave. That's my one thing that I do. And uh, he has like the war paint on and stuff, and it's so ridiculous. He just keeps talking about all this bear shit. So, oh god! There's a couple other people in here. Deborah Raffin, <laughs> Timothy Spall's in Timothy Spall, which is very interesting. Timothy Spall's in it for he has maybe like two lines or something, two or three lines, and he plays just like one of the concert crew people. But he's not credited in the cast, and when you look at, I don't, I don't think it's in his IMDb. 
No. So he's just sort of in there. He's like a kid. Yeah, because I, I, I looked. Because I'm like, why is no one talking about the fact that Timothy Spall's in this movie? He's in it more than, you know, your George Clooney. He is, yeah. But that's definitely Timothy Spall. No, 100%. I mean, if you're not... If you if you're not sure by like actually seeing him on screen, he does have some lines, and as soon as he yeah. talks, you know that it's him. It's clearly him. So th- I thought that that was kind of fascinating as well. So yeah, it's a very strange movie, all in all. I got to say, like, I-, I hated every moment of it. It's only sixty eight minutes long. So when we were talking about like putting in all this stock footage and new concert footage and all this stuff to pad it out. It's padding it out to 68 minutes. So that should give you a a clue as to like how much actual content there is here. And as far as like the bear uh, plot, it's so thin. There's, there's nothing here. Like there's people get killed. It's mostly hunters that get killed and it's always the same. Like I mentioned before, like, there's some some sounds like I can't remember. There might be some POV shots of the bear, and then yeah. and then like a scream, and then you see you see the aftermath. So sometimes you see it a person, you know, all bloodied, all bloodied up. But it's really disappointing in that regard. I was I was really hoping to see some some sick bear mauling action. Yeah, you don't get any of that. Nah. I mean the the really the only thing that you get is at the very end when you see you actually they did use the animatronic bear in one scene at the very end. But the end is so anticlimactic that you're just like, what, that's it? <laughs> like yeah. the the bear essentially kills himself. I mean pretty much. It's just, it's it's terrible. It's just an absolutely terrible movie. And it's not we're not talking like the room or anything along those lines where, you know, birdemic or something like this is just, this isn't, it's not a movie. Like it shouldn't be in theaters. It shouldn't be out at all. Like you shouldn't, no one should be getting money for this. It should be illegal. Yeah. I, I think it has its moments. I think that there are some moments where if you're watching this with a group of your friends or in a theater, that is ready for something like this, you know, like an Alamo draft house or something. There are numerous moments that are, that are so bad and so funny that you can, you can have a good time with it. But so much of it is just this like generic concert footage stuff that you're just like, there's nothing here for me to really grasp onto. It's just like these generic new wave bands performing and rehearsing and, yeah, and you're just like, okay, well, how, I can't even comment on this, you know? Like, I can't even make fun of it because it's just concert footage, crowd yeah, footage. Yeah, it's just, the movie's just, so much of it is just, it's mocking you for even partaking. Especially with the concert footage, especially when it gets that, what is it? I'm still trying to place, like, what the modern band is that play, like, it's some sort of, like, it's almost ska, but not entirely. Like, is it Mighty Mighty Boss Tunes? I don't know. It's some fucking ska band. <laughs> it's old ass ska band. I don't think it's this. Uh, I wouldn't call it a ska band. You know, they're, they're, they remind me. I don't me, watch that. Shit. 
Did they have yeah. a horn section? Yeah, they do that close up of the guy playing a fucking trumpet. Oh yeah, you're right. I gotta find out who the fuck that is. Someone's gotta know. God damn it. I mean, they yeah. I mean, they seemed like a legit band. They were definitely a real yeah. band, but I, I've never, I have no idea who they are. I mean, that the song that they played was not very good, in my opinion. But no, and they they reminded me of like a, a cover band that you would see playing at a at a dive yes. bar somewhere. Yes, Mighty Mighty Boston's cover band. There's <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines. All right, oh, God, that's what it is. Fucking stupid as shit. All right, so that's Grizzly Two, the Grizzly Two Revenge. I keep wanting to say the Revenge because it has a couple now alternative the, titles. There's Grizz, Grizzly Two, the Predator, and Grizzly Two, the Concert. Yeah, well, they they only had enough of a budget for one the, and that was for the the National Park. Yeah, so they couldn't it use it for the for Revenge. Guess that's what it was. All right, let's give this thing a score. Obviously, for me, it's a one out of ten. Not applicable. It's not a movie. I like can't score. It. Can't score. It's, it. a, it's a negative N- ten. N a fucking, fucking god damn it. Trying to get back into movies. Well, the good to, thing like, is relationship, and I, like I just hate things now. Well, the good thing is you're starting the bar low for 2021. True. Like you're True. only going to go up from here. <laughs> like what? I mean, whatever we watch for next week, I mean, I'm presuming, presumably, one night in Miami. So, <laughs> it's only going to go up from here. Yeah, and I wonder how that's going to play in. Like, is every movie going to be like a 10 and 9 now? Because I'm just going to be like, well, fuck, this is incredible. I think, I think for me, for that to happen, I'd have to see, like, a whole spat of, like, .5s <laughs> and 1s. <laughs> And zero twos in a row. Yeah, I'd have to see I'd have to watch like at least I don't know, ten of them in a row, and then I'd be at that point where everything feels like an amazing movie. Alright. That is Grizzly 2 Revenge. It is now on VOD platforms and in theaters. Let's move on and talk about some of what we've been watching. I believe it is my turn. It's been a while since we did this section, but I'm pretty sure it's my turn this week. <laughs> I got a couple things to to mention. Not a not a huge week, but for 2021, I am going to get really back into movies. I think for whatever reason, I think it was it was similar to your situation where after, after the pandemic hit and stuff, I, I became really unmotivated and just feeling blah about movies and just everything in general. And I'm really trying to stay positive and energetic in 2021, so... My my plan is to really come back, you know, start fresh, come back, full steam ahead. I saw Psycho Gorman, also known as PG Psycho Gorman. This is directed by Stephen Kostansky. This is one of the Astron guys, Astron 6 guys. He did uh, Father's Day <laughs> and Manborg and The Void. He's back with Psycho Gorman. Really enjoyed Psycho Gorman. It's ridiculous. It's... I had a lot of problems with it, but it was overall something that I feel like I haven't seen in quite a long time. You, The premise here is that you have these two kids who find this rock that was from an ancient alien planet, mm-hmm. and it turns out that this rock 
holds the key to controlling this evil alien overlord who when yes. they when they unlock this rock from its its housing it awakens him so mm. wh- what you have here is this evil murderous creature that is completely in control controlled by these two little kids and yes. it lends itself to some uh, some comedic hijinks and some really gory, dark humor. There's a lot of really great creature design in here. All the effects work, for the most part, is practical. So tons of really great practical effects. They use stop motion, uh, all kinds of really cool makeup effects and gore effects and stuff going on in this movie. People exploding and like... All these different alien creatures and stuff in it. So the the Sold. use using suits feels like uh feels like a gory version of Power Rangers or something. We have all these Sold. creatures coming in. It's it's ridiculous. Uh the the main problems I had with it were with the the lead character who is a I don't know, I want to say she's like Oh, this, here 10, we, 11, 12. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Adam's bringing it back 2021. These fucking kids. God I know. Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm known for hating on kids, uh, but it's not the the actor. She was fine. The yeah. the problem I had was with the character. She is just evil. She's just an evil little child. And I just hated her. Like I just hated this kid. <laughs> I hated this kid so much. And she wasn't supposed to be likable. Like she, she was supposed to be a bratty, like self entitled little girl. And you know, I, I, I'm working on a review for this. This movie comes out in a couple of weeks, and and in my review, I was writing that she reminds me of uh, Veruca Salt from Willy Wonka. Okay, like that's kind of the character we're looking at here. She's just gotcha. such a little brat, and of course, it's it's you know it's an arc for her. Like she, she has to learn from psycho Gorman and psycho Gorman learns from her and she learns to be, you know, a, a better person as does he. And that I, I get, but I didn't care. Like I just found her to be so unpleasant to watch that it, I had a really hard time with it, but then you juxtapose that with these really great scenes of the psycho Gorman is so funny in this. And also, uh, you have Adam Brooks in here at, who plays the dad, and he is hilarious as the dad. He reminded me of, and I, I don't think there's any way that, that that character was not inspired by Jerry from Rick and Morty, the dad. There's just okay. no way, because everything that happens, like, there's a scene where he's, like, sitting and watching TV, just lounging, being a lazy bum, and then, like, this this, like, orb flies through the house and like smashes through the TV. And it's just him sitting there for like 10 seconds screaming. (laughs) And then he just starts crying and just scenes like that. It just reminded me so much of Jerry from Rick and Morty, which is a good thing, but I, I can definitely give psycho Gorman a light recommend. It's a very creative movie. It's, it's a movie that like we haven't seen for maybe decades. I don't, I don't think we've seen a movie like this since the 80s, maybe into the yeah. 90s. 
but yeah, this sounds good. This yeah. sounds like fun. It is. It is a lot of fun. Well, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, I watched a a Mieke movie from 2014 over your dead body, which is on Amazon Prime. I don't, I don't necessarily remember this movie coming out. I kind of remember this poster, um, but it's been a minute since I watched a Mieke movie. And I got to say, this one, this might be one of his best. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. So a pretty simple premise is they're doing this stage play, the, this old play, uh, Yatsuya Kaden. The, the two main characters are in a relationship you know, obviously in the play, but also in real life. Uh, and it, essentially they're just doing rehearsals. They're getting ready for opening night. It's a very elaborate play where they have this revolving set and it looks incredible. The set design is incredible. They're doing the rehearsals and everything. And of course, you know, the what's happening in the play starts to bleed in to real life. Okay. We've seen this numerous times in different movies. The, you know, that blending of the two. Um, one, the way in which Miyake shoots the play rehearsals, is just, it's incredible. Like the, the set designs, uh, the revolving set, the way that he does everything just works out so wonderfully. Um, it still has a shit ton of really disturbing imagery, just really unsettling, just fucked up and deranged, as you would expect from Miyake. But not as ridiculous as you know. And this this is like more mature, deranged from Yeke. Um There's also some great choices in terms of like the like the art direction and some of these unsettling sequences. There's one where the guy comes home and his entire they you know have this like big modern house, this big modern apartment and the whole house walls floors ceilings everything black trash bags everything's black trash bags just everything's covered in black trash bags and for a reason because there's there's stuff everywhere you find out later um then there's a a sequence towards the end where He's in a rehearsal, but is he in a rehearsal? Everything, the entire space, like where the director would be sitting, you know, the script, supervisors, all that stuff. Everything that's out is kind of like draped with this like mosquito netting, like like thin cloth. I mean, this thing is, it's really good. And I, was, I wasn't expecting much, you know, because this is a Mieke movie that, I'd never really heard about. And you know, he makes so many. Yeah. It's, it's easy. It's easy to miss one. Like I just looked, pulled up his filmography for the first time in a while. And I'm like seeing multiple of his movies here that I want to see that I wasn't familiar with before. Well, uh, do this one. It's on Amazon prime. Um, I don't think you'll be disappointed. It, It has one of, I think the best ending shots that I've seen for quite some time in a movie, just really fucked up. I will definitely add this. This sounds really good. I mean, I'm not like they're, they're huge Miyake fans. I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of his. I'm kind of surprised. I saw 24 of his movies. 
Well, and I think that's like the a thing lot. Too. I mean, I know every, I, uh, there's people who've, I'm sure, have gone through his entire filmography, but. Yeah. And I just, that's the thing that kind of surprised me is I don't really remember people talking about this movie that much. As far as like uh, looking at Letterboxd and going through sorting it by popularity, uh, this one is fairly far far down on the list. It's after JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable, Chapter One. <laughs> the bird, the bird people in China. Yeah, it's after that one. That one I was familiar with, but it never interested me. I want to see As the Gods Will which is one that I was not familiar with that also came out in 2014, according to Letterboxd. Anyway, yeah, I have a feeling I'm going to get back into uh, Mieke. Just a heads up. Nice. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. Might give me an excuse to get back into it as well. All right, let's see what else I got going on here. Shadow in the Cloud. This is uh, directed by Ro- Roseanne Liang. This is... Uh, this was an interesting one. I, I didn't really have any kind of desire to see this. I was familiar with it. I saw the trailer, checked out the poster. I was like, eh, you know, it's, it seems not great, but I was kind of like looking for just something somewhat mindless and fun to watch. So I, I gave this a look. This came out just like a, maybe a week ago. And it stars Chloe Grace Moretz. It's a World War II movie about uh, a sort of sort of mysterious person. Chloe Grace Moretz plays this this person who enters a a B seventeen bomber and claims that she's on a top secret mission and she needs to be transported and that she has papers and all this stuff and she has this mysterious package that no one's allowed to open no one's allowed to know what's in it and so they they take her with them and as they're flying uh, a gremlin attacks the plane sort of like twilight zone very similar to uh a twilight zone where she sees the gremlin because she's down in like the gun turret on the bottom and yeah. She sees the gremlin. They, of course, they don't believe her that this is happening, but she also sees yeah. Japanese fighter planes and they don't believe her with that either. And then, of course, they get attacked by both the gremlin and the fighter planes. The movie is somewhat of a containment thriller. So almost the entire movie takes place in this gun turret with her. Uh, sort of like uh, there's an Amazing Stories episode about this. One of my favorite Amazing Stories episodes, actually, where someone is trapped in a gun turret and the landing gear doesn't work. It is broken and the person believes that he's going to die when they land because he's on the gun turret. So I wasn't expecting that. The way that they handle the the other, because, you know, she's on a plane full of these men and the way that they handle... The, the communication, it's all done through radio. So you don't really even see them for, for most of the movie. You just hear them. And, you know, they're spouting off all this, like, misogynistic bullshit. Like, just awful stuff. And they w- periodically cut away to them. And you can hear them talking, and they just show the character. And it's like, there's, like, a black background, and there's, like, red light shining on them. So there's, like, these really interesting artistic flourishes that they 
that uh, that Roseanne Liang brings into this movie that sort of elevate it above just any kind of generic forgettable B movie because there's this whole like sexism gender dynamic happening in it. The the, the effects work it is good especially for it being a relatively low budget movie. Um, the creature design on the gremlin itself is quite good. And you do get to see a lot of the, the gremlin. It's not like they try to hide it too much and it looks, it looks quite good. Some of the moments are very surprisingly thrilling. There's one really fucking awesome scene that happens. I'm not going to give it away, but towards the end, there's something really crazy that happens. Totally illogical, but really fun nonetheless and that's sort of the the vibe that this movie has it doesn't take itself too seriously at all and aesthetically it's a lot more different than what you might expect there's this like sort of techno um almost almost like a synth wave soundtrack to it so it has this like 80s vibe it's very strange it was a really weird decision but one that i thought kind of kind of worked in its favor because it adds to the sort of vibe to this movie where I don't think you're supposed to take everything in earnest with it. It's supposed to be a fun B movie. I'm I'm hoping that's what we see more of in the years to come is more movies, not taking themselves too seriously. Yeah. Less we need less self serious movies. Yeah. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz is really good in this. She has this British accent in the beginning and I thought it was going to be really problematic for me. Because uh, it drops, because it's not very good, but she does drop it. <laughs> so it's just part of disguise. It's, she yeah, there's there's disguise. a there there are reasons behind it, and nice. uh, I was th- thankful that it was given up. But I later found out. So I like I watched it. I was like, oh, that was really fun. You know, it was it was messy. It's it's a messy movie, but it was still really fun. And then I found out later that Max Landis wrote the script, and I was just like, ugh. Oh, God damn it. Why yeah. don't you leave with that? Fuck you, Adam. Well, see, that, that's the thing. Like, I didn't want to lead with it. I didn't want to lead with it because I didn't lead with it when I watched it. You know, like if I if I knew that he wrote it before I watched it, I might not even watch it. But I would say that that is doing a disservice to to the director, uh, Roseanne Liang, because I think that she does a really good job with this. And her first her first feature film was the first film theatrically released made by a Chinese New New Zealander. And I'm really I'm really interested to see what she has ne- f- you know next for us cuz yeah. she she's uh I think and it's going to bring a unique voice. So uh the only other thing I have is The Silent Partner directed by Daryl Duke. Canadian film from 1978. This is on the Criterion Collection or the Criterion Channel. Sorry, clarify that. This is Elliot Gould. He plays a bank teller, all right, in Toronto, big time. This is around Christmas. This is essentially a Christmas movie. Bank teller, he kind of inadvertently stumbles upon that he thinks someone's going to be robbing this bank. Uh, and the person that's going to be doing that is Christopher Plummer. He's dressed up as a Santa, and he he ends up robbing the bank. And the thing I like about this movie is it's very clever. It's got a great uh, script from 
a young Chris Hansen, or yeah, Curtis Hansen, right? Is that his name? Or is it Chris? Chris Hansen is, Curtis, <laughs> yeah. is the to catch a predator guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Curtis Hansen. Um, so Ellie Gould plays, he, you know, he's this bank teller. That he's a little more clever than he lets on. So he ends up planning something in terms of this, in this, uh, this bank robber, right? Now, the other half of this movie, or another good portion of it, is just like romance. Like, uh, every single woman that works at this bank or comes in contact with Elliot Gould for some reason wants to be with Elliot Gould, which is kind of bizarre in a lot of ways because <laughs> he plays a very odd man. Um, but he is very clever. It becomes this cat and mouse type thing between him and Christopher Plummer. Uh, because he quote unquote becomes a silent partner in this in this bank robbery, and he's got to like outwit Christopher Plummer in order to to keep his secret. And at first, he's kind of excited by this because you know he's doing something in his life that's very exciting compared to what he normally does, which is collect fish. Uh, so he's really excited about this silent partner business and his little chess game that he's playing with uh, Christopher Plummer. But what he doesn't realize is that Christopher Plummer is like a fucking maniac. And he's out of his mind. He's a psychopath. Uh, He's a murderer. He'll do anything. So Elliot Gould ends up becoming a, a silent partner in far more nefarious ways than I think he was expecting in order to keep this going. And I got to say, it is just, it's a hell of a thriller. I mean, if you want cat and mouse, like heist type movie, this is it. This is so damn good. And another interesting thing that I did not know going into this is that it star, or doesn't star, but it has a very small role, very early role for John Candy. Oh, wow. Yeah, he plays one of, uh, he's another bank teller at the bank. Nice. This yeah, this so, sounds great. This sounds you you will you will absolutely love this movie. Yeah, looks like I would, and it's and it's just it's funny to me because I was like, oh, who's Daryl Duke? Let me look him up. It's the guy who directed the Thornbirds, for Christ's sake. <laughs> the fucking Thornbirds. Incredible. Uh, the Thornbirds. <laughs> the only other one that uh, I saw was Nomadland. This is the Chloe Zhao one. This is one that I desperately wanted to fit in before our year-end lists, and I just didn't quite have the time, and I'm really bummed out because this would have been on my top ten. I'm not exactly sure where it would land. Maybe probably top five. Probably like, yeah, like looking at top five material here. Uh, If you're not familiar, this is... It stars Frances McDormand as a, a woman who in her 60s is has become a nomad she's living in her van and she kind of just travels from town to town picking up work like seasonal work so the when the movie starts off she's i can't remember where it starts it's somewhere in the 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 midwest and she does seasonal work at amazon when they you know hire people for the holidays so she's she's working in an Amazon warehouse and then she move and then she goes out west and 
sets up at a like a nomad camp in the desert and like uh, Chloe Zhao's other films this is a mixture of actors and non-actors I would say it's a it's a good portion of the movie's non-actors okay good uh but you do also have like david strathairn's in there too and he's he's really great in this uh really wonderful film it's 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 sad in a lot of ways but i think that it does a really incredible job of shining a light on the the economic despair that a lot of people have and like sort of just the the fact that they're so many of these people are just kind of trapped and don't have any options. And I think it does a really good job of conveying that, but I think it also um, does a good job of, of showing the nomadic life that a lot of people have that maybe a lot of people don't even realize exists in this country. These people who live, you know, in RVs or vans just live off the land and just do odd jobs here and there. Like she, she gets a job at a restaurant working in, working in a kitchen for a little while and just doing what she can to make ends meet. And then she has some hardships along the way. Like she gets a flat tire and then her van breaks down at one point and she needs a bunch of money to get it repaired. And it's, just a, a really incredible film. Uh, Francis McDormand obviously is in really, really good in it. And I think that she delivers another award winning performance here. That's so she does. Yeah. I mean, she just knocks it out of the park. Like she does such a good job of like, you know, this is a movie that is, has a lot of non-actors in it. And when you have a movie that is a mixture of, of you know trained actors with non-actors it's always very the, the lines are always very clear like you always know who the actors are who the non-actors are and and it just sometimes can be a little bit jarring where you're just like oh well clearly this person's not yeah. an act but the way that the movie's shot and the way that the the dialogue is delivered and the way that everything just feels it's very very um natural and organic everything like, you know that it's obviously it's Frances McDormand. She's a famous actor, but she just so easily slips into this role and encapsulates this character that after the first few minutes, you just forget it. And it almost feels like you're watching a documentary at that point. Mm. So highly recommend Nomadland. Check it out. I think it's incredible that, that Chloe Zhao is doing Eternals for Marvel. Like, I think that I'm really, really curious to see what she does with a Marvel movie and if she's able to retain her voice in a Marvel movie. It just doesn't... It's so weird. Yeah. Everything with Marvel is just weird because it seems like if you're, like, any bit successful... You like Marvel comes to you, and they're like, "Mate, even like in this case, like her style does like why?" Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't fit at all. all. It doesn't fit with the Marvel blueprint at all. But if you look at it from Marvel's perspective, it's a smart. It's a smart decision. I mean, she like if you 
if you told me that Marvel was getting the guy that directed, uh, you just talked to, what was it? This super gore man? The psycho Gorman. Psycho Gorman. If you, you told me that they were doing that, then I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. That's kind of exciting. But, you know, to have the, the docu-fiction or docu-drama, you know, kind of sad sack movies, she's doing a Marvel. Right. Just, yeah, I, I think that they're, 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 acquisition of scott derrickson you know for like mr for um for dr strange after you know the sinister movie like that that seemed to be it was an interesting fit i think it was a good fit but you could see that transition you know you could see like oh like the guy who did sinister and it was this sort of up-and-coming indie director is making some waves you know marvel pulls him into dr strange it's a good fit and then, you know, some other ones too, like Taika Waititi, like pulling him in for Thor at first, you're just like, oh, that's, that's kind of weird. But then after you see his Thor movie, you're just like, all right, I can understand that completely now. But this one, I have a much harder time wrapping my head around. Yeah. It's, but again, it's a smart decision for them. It's, it's a female director, which, you know, is, is always going to get bonus points and, it's she's an up and coming director. She's made um, a, a number of really notable, critically acclaimed movies, and uh, I, I bet that she's probably going to be cheaper than you know the the Russo brothers or you know any oh, yeah. of those other like big male directors. She's probably going to command a lower uh, rate than them. So yeah, I just like this idea of. I mean, I just, I find it funny to think of Marvel doing this like slow transition into them trying to make superhero movies that are also Oscar bait. And I just want to see what that looks like. I like, I want them to go down that road. I just, I would love, I I would love that too, but I would love it to be real. You know, like I would like it to be serious. Like if Eternals. But no, if that happens, it can't be real. It's it. It will always be a farce. There's no way you can do that without it being a farce. I'm sorry. Like, you just <laughs> I, agree, I, I, I agree, but I'm just saying, like, I, would, I mean, Eternals, it has a really great cast. It's got this really great director behind it. And, and, and I just don't. I'm just, I, just I, love I, the have idea. See, I have to see this it, movie. Like, I just, <laughs> it, plays, it plays out like Nomadland, but. You're just supposed to know that, like, hey, these these people have superpowers. You never see them use them. They're just they're poor and destitute. But I mean, like, can you imagine <laughs> just just like on a visual, like on a technical standpoint, like her movies have a have a you know a specific look to them, and it would be nice to kind of see maybe a <clears throat> a uh, a superhero movie that's far more intimate and small scale than just kind of shitty big stage action sequences that all kind of look the same. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, I I hope that this year in comic book movies and superhero movies, I'm just hoping that they're going to push the, the, the genre forward. Like let's, let's pull out. Cause I'm so sick of just the whole cut and paste, uh, or copy and paste rather like, 
formula that these movies have. They all look the same. They sound the same. It's, it's always the same beats in all of these movies. That's not to say that they aren't fun, that they're not entertaining or yeah. anything. Like they're all fine. Yeah. Like I thought, you know, Captain Marvel was fine, but it's like, yeah, but it, I, it's, it's fun and fine in the way that, what was it? Dynasty warriors was fun. Yeah, fun. exactly. Like after, after a point in time, you're just like, okay, this is, let's mix it up. This? Yeah. <laughs> Let's let's bring something new to the table. Now, will Eternals be that? I don't know. I mean, the p- picking a movie like Eternals, this is more of the uh the cosmic side of Marvel stuff, so I imagine that this is like all going to take place in space and yes. be like the sort of Guardians of the Galaxy style. But I don't know. I mean, I remember when Guardians of the Galaxy was first announced, I was like, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. Like, eh. Marvel has surprised me more than once, so I'm I'm just kind of cautiously optimistic that they're going to allow Chloe Zhao to have some creative control over it and bring her own voice into this universe. Yeah, we'll see. All right, let's take a look at what we have on VOD this week. On the 14th, we have Bloody Hell. This is one that I was sort of keeping an eye on it was it played some of the festivals last year and it's like mm-hmm. a like a horror comedy of sorts it looks all right i might i might give this a look uh we have and then on the 15th which is friday we have uh Ak- akasa my home which is a virtual cinema release that is a documentary i believe it takes place in bucharest mm. uh, we have a rock camp the movie it's also a virtual theatrical release. That's a documentary about rock camp, I guess. Mm. We have One Night in Miami. This is going to be on Amazon Prime. This is the Regina Hall. Or sorry, Regina oh, yeah. Hall. Regina King directed film. Pretty pretty interested in that one. Yeah, I, did. I didn't realize that that was coming out so early. Yeah, it uh, had a limited theatrical release on the on the 25th, I think on, on Christmas day. And then got a pretty quick turnaround over to prime. Uh, let's see the wake of light. Sometimes love happens. It does. So yeah, check, check that out. Starring Rome Brooks and Matt Bush and William Morton. Uh, we have buck run the loss of 15 year old outsider. Shaw Templeton's mother forces him to, into the unsteady care of his estranged reclusive father, William. Set in rural Pennsylvania. Some Kind of Heaven comes out. Highly recommend this one. This is a, the documentary by uh, Lance Oppenheim. And it's... I talked about it a couple weeks ago on the show. It's about the villages. Oh, yeah, that's right. I Yeah, the, the only reason this wasn't on my top 10 for 2020 is because it... Uh, came out it's coming out this year so it's gonna be on my 2021 list for now at least we have assassins coming out this had a limited run earlier we have a review for this up on the site and now it's getting a vod release that's about all i have for vod wow as always check back on the calendar throughout the week as i'll be continuing to add things as they come my way uh, I I am a few weeks behind, so I'm looking to update the calendar 
right after this recording, so um, there there will likely be more titles coming out this week that I didn't mention here. I tried to I tried to get it up to date before we started this, and I couldn't quite finish. Mm. There's just so many. There's so many movies on Blu-ray. We got uh, this is actually a pretty light week for Blu-ray. We have The Freshman from 1990, starring Marlon Brando and Matthew Broderick. This is uh, being put out on one of those VHS rewind type things. The cover looks like a VHS tape. Kind of cool. Uh, okay. Uh, Crossroads from 1986. This is the same deal. Mill Creek Entertainment is putting these out, and this is another one that they make it look like a VHS tape. And we have Buried Alive from 1990. Blind Fury from 1989. This is also one of those VHS things. Going all in. Yeah. Putting all the eggs in that VHS basket. I've never seen Blind Fury. I, I kind of want to see that. Like Father, Like Son from 1987. That's another one of the VHS ones. Uh, Just Before Dawn from 1981. We got Stretch from 2014. Uh, Lupin the Third, the first from... Believe that dropped last year. <clears throat> it was like late last year that that came out, fairly recently. I wanted to see that actually. Uh, the Devil's Wedding Night from 1973, Thursday from 1998, Skylines. This is the the third one, the new one that that came out a couple weeks ago. Blood Sisters from 1987, Rituals from 1977, Spell from last year, Liberté. Uh, Ammonite. Looks like there's a raid collection coming out. Can you call it a collection? I mean, I guess you can technically call it a collection if it's just two movies, but yeah, I'm not sure that that's really necessary. Yeah. Not much of a collection. Yeah. Uh, that's... Oh, Go, Don't Go is also coming out. I believe that's going to be hitting VOD as well on Tuesday. And that's really all I got. What about Criterions? Well, before I tell you about the Criterion, I'm I'm looking at Blind Fury here, which this is just ridiculous. I know. Poster, incredible. Tagline, he may be blind, but he don't need no dog. And it's a blind Vietnam vet, played by Rutger Mm -hmm. Hauer, trained as a sword fighter, comes to America and helps to rescue... The son of a fellow soldier. Yeah, I've wanted to see this for a while, and I just <laughs> now I think now that they're going to be putting it out on Blu-ray, now is a great time to finally see Blind Fury. I just love the smile on his face, that little smug smirk that he has while mm-hmm. he's chopping up guns. He's somehow chopping all the guns up, but not the hands, or maybe he has cut the hands off. Yeah, yeah, don't you know. don't see the full arm. It's just no. a hand, so... He is... Oh, man, he is so pleased with himself. Uh, the criterion is Minding the Gap from 2018. Contemporary pick. I love that they did this. I think that this is really cool. I really love that movie, and I think that if I was that director, he, he was like, he directed that when he was like, what, like 18 or something? Oh, and really? I just... For that kind of like distinction for your documentary that's essentially just about your friends, 
uh, yeah. for, for it to come out on Criterion, I think would be like such an accomplishment, but I, I think that it's well-deserved. It's, it's a really, really incredible movie. Got a, a ton of special features on there. New audio commentary, conversations, interviews, interview with Tony Hawk, outtakes, all sorts of stuff. There you go. Yeah, definitely check out Mining the Gap. And Blind Fury. And pick Blind Fury. Yeah, pick those <laughs> two up. That's a, that's a, tell you, that's a solid week for home media right there. People are saying what, physical what? media is dead. No, it's not. <laughs> Kidding me? Look, look at January 12th, 2021, and tell me physical media is dead. Yeah, exactly. He don't need no dog. Nope. Just chopping up guns with his blind swordsman <laughs> skills. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. If you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be incredibly helpful. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. <laughs>